Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Folks, our desire is that we can incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit in power, reviving His Church here in West Michigan, but also in our state and our nation, and then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But for that to happen, it's just critical that first we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation with someone that I've known not a great period of time, but I really appreciate his heart for the Lord, for ministry. Um, It's Pastor Mick Veach. He's pastor at this point of the Kentwood Community Church in uh, Kentwood here in West Michigan. Just want to welcome you, Mick. Thanks for joining us for this little podcast. Thanks, Randy. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to chatting with you today. Uh, it'll be fun. Let me tell you a little bit more about uh, Mick. What a, what a background you got, man. And I like your, your first kind of general statement uh, that you sent your, in your bio. You said, whether smuggling Bibles, that's an interesting way to start, feeding lepers or working and living amongst a Muslim people group as a humanitarian pastor, McVeach's commitment to share the love of God has taken him all over the world. He served as a Global Partners Area Director for Central Asia and the Middle East. He presented the gospel in more than 60 countries. Boy, that's amazing. You don't look like you could be old enough to go to 60 countries. Well, now you make me feel good. Yeah, <laughs> I've been the lead pastor of a large suburban church in north of Detroit, planted Mosaic Midtown in Detroit. And he now, as we indicate, is the lead pastor of Kentwood Community Church here in Kentwood, Michigan. And I love this statement, uh, Mick. You said, your desire is and always has been to see God's truth compel others to action and to foster healthy local churches that engage in evangelism and discipleship. You and your wife, Melanie, have three adult children, and you live here, of course, in, in West Michigan. So again, welcome. Thanks again for joining us for these few minutes. Thanks, Randy. Uh, so you're from Indiana originally. That's right. And uh, you, how'd you come to faith in Christ? I just let's, I'd love your testimony just briefly, if you don't mind. Sure. Actually, wasn't raised in the church, and uh, um, it was pretty supernatural. My mom and I, my parents were divorced, and my mom and I decided we would go to a church out of the blue. I don't know, even know what motivated us. I was about 15 or 16 years old. And we chose the church that we chose simply because it was the largest church because we didn't want anybody to see us. So we figured we could sneak in and sneak out yeah. out of the back. And uh-huh. this is in 1982. So church back then is a little bit different than church in today's world, but obviously. So we went to that church and felt good about it, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, I think that following Tuesday, a 76-year-old lady comes knocking at our door and <laughs> she saw us figured us out, got the intel, and uh, invited me back to the church. And um, from there, she came and picked me up while my mom worked on Sundays and sent me to the youth group. I then uh, was invited to a youth camp, and it was actually up here in Michigan. It's called Miracle Camp. I don't know if you're familiar with it, just outside of Lawnton, just south of us. Anyways, uh, a pretty amazing camp, and it was there I went there basically for the sports and the social side of things. And I found Jesus um, in that moment. And I say often about it. It was July 28th, 1982. 
I was a, I was just finishing my 15th year of life and was so lost. I was so drunk on that Saturday night before we left on Monday. I couldn't tell you what I, I did, wow. but I was desperate. Um, my, I remember a teacher saying to me, Veach, you're worthless. You'll never amount to anything in that last semester. And I just said to God, when I heard Jesus clearly portrayed by this individual um, that was preaching at that youth camp, and I went forward and said, look, God, if you're real, I need a change. He so radically, Randy, changed my life. I mean, radically, uh, that basically the rest of my life has been committed to, uh, to let people know what he's done for me, he can do for them. And that's what's driven me to anything that I've done is simply from that experience. So I appreciate you asking me um, when and how that occurred. Oh, that's so great. So then at some point, uh, you know, you went uh, through college and you know, God called you to ministry uh, full time at some point. When was when was that and how did that happen? <laughs> that would have been about a year and a half later. I okay. I just started reading scripture and I was just like, not ever growing up in a church or tradition or theological bent and all those things that we teach one another as a result of our experiences. I just took scripture at face value. It was like, okay, go. I remember reading it like you need to go to all the world. Well, I grew up in a small town. All I knew was playing baseball, having root beers and figured I'd live and die in Marion, Indiana. But I started reading scripture, found myself a year and a half later in the country of Honduras in the wow. city of Tegucigalpa, and I spent the summer there, and I was going into my senior year in high school, and it was in that three months living there by myself. I had quite the adventure there uh, that I we don't have time to talk about, but in the adventures of that summer, it was there that I knew that this is what I was supposed to do for the rest of my life, whether it was in another country or in the United States, but then the journey began to figure out what that specifically looked like. But it was there that I, I knew that God had called me full time. So, you know, at some point you did ministry overseas, you know, in Central Asia, Middle East, uh, missionary, you were a missionary during that time and did a lot of variety of things. Um, but at some point, God called you back to the States. How did that happen? Well, when we went overseas, we I knew that God had called me to uh, the least reached areas of the world. Yeah, as you may know, Randy, half of the world's never even heard of Jesus once. Yes. We call that the 1040 window. Yep. And it's the most restrictive and most difficult areas of the world. So I lived there for 10 years, um, started a church planning movement in five countries, recruited workers and uh, trained them. And uh, they're all now in their late 40s. They were in their 20s back then. Wow. And uh, they're leading these incredible works uh, in these various countries that we can't say for security reasons. Mm -hmm. But I reason why I tell you that it was that God had placed in my heart just specific uh, things that I knew I needed to do when I went overseas. And I I didn't and I thought it would take the rest of my life. I didn't know that within a 10 year period that those those uh, those goals could be met. Mm -hmm. And when that occurred, where I where we were serving, we planted 12 house churches created leadership, created a platform, a humanitarian company, which uh, North Americans could get visas, planted um, new, open new works, et cetera. Those are some of the goals that God had placed on my heart. And when it was done, God said to me, now I want you to go back to the States and I want you to basically fulfill Matthew 9, 38, that you would not only pray, but you would see raise, uh, laborers raised up for the harvest. Mm. And so that was the motivating factor for me to return to the States. So that's your goal there at Kentwood Community Church is to raise up uh, more laborers to go into the the fields. 
obviously that's one of those things since I've been here, we've been doing that. I've only been here two and a half years and COVID, okay. et cetera, but we've already seen a great response about 50 to 70 people. And we've created cohorts. I created cohorts, cohort for marketplace multipliers, cohort for bi- bivocational uh, ministry, and then a oh. cohort for missionaries. And they've been through it in a, in a two year training program, helping them to get tools in their toolbox um, so that they could truly, uh, um, be equipped to go change the world. It's really great. Uh, I just recently re-listened to a, a video uh, by a Pastor Bill McLeod from uh, Canada. I don't know if you're familiar with that name at all, but he helped spark the, uh, the Canadian revival of 1971. And he was in a relatively small church, so, you know, 175, 200 members, and he tried to get them to evangelize, go door to door to evangelize. And he had a hard time motivating them until their heart changed. And that took a number of years of prayer for revival of their heart. I wonder if you run into that at all. Uh, in other words, that, that we need to motivate, uh, you know, not externally, but it needs to come from the heart like you had uh, in your own life. I mean, you just wanted to share Are you finding that a challenge or is that relatively easy to motivate people to want to share their faith and make disciples? Well, at this season in my life, I know what I've been called to Mm -hmm. and I know what kind of personality God has given me and I know what I'm supposed to do. Okay, So I do that with all my heart. And uh, KCC, what is community church is unique in that we're a church of the nations. Mm -hmm. So, you saw experience the challenge of the last two and a half years in a what I call homogeneous churches where and sameness clusters where people are basically the same and how much struggle that is. Add into the equation people from all over the world mm. and et cetera in the last two and a half years. We definitely needed God to lead us. Otherwise, we would have imploded immediately with all the variety of differences. Yes. But I knew I knew what we were called to do. And the first thing I did when I arrived is I scratched all of the mission vision statements because nobody could remember them. They were fancy and looked good. And I said, I'm the master of oversimplification. But my mantra is if they can remember it, they'll actually live it. So if you ask anybody from KCC what the mission is, they will say it's to know him and to make him known. And they will lift their hands and say to know him and to make him known. Oh, I love it. I love it. I joke. I say and make him known. And I say if they're if they're making fun of me behind my back, perfect. Now I know that they got it. That because as you know, mission and vision leaks. And so we have stayed on that course from day one. Now I will say to you, Randy, that there have been people who've left because they have said clearly and concisely that my message is too intense. It makes them feel a little uncomfortable. And I've said, you know, the beautiful thing about West Michigan is we got a lot of churches. And although I may not be your cup of tea, please find a location. But the people that are here and the people that have stayed and the people that are coming and the people that we're seeing do what you've asked to truly know him and to make him known. They in unison know why I'm here and what we're about. And that is to prepare the church for what is ahead of us. I'm reminded of Issachar in the Old Testament, which was a tribe that basically means they understood the times in which yes. they lived. Yes. And that's really a passion, not only calling people out, but also preparing a church that I believe is not, has not been um, equipped to face what we're currently experiencing. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, let's, let's, let's go down that path just a little bit. I mean, we live in a culture that is, is increasingly 
you know, woke, secular, um, you know, basically there's not external objective uh, truth that, that exists for everyone. It's just my truth versus your truth, my feelings, that my feelings are, are basically the ultimate test for what's right or what's wrong. And if I feel, if I wake up one day and feel that instead of being male, I'm, I'm actually female, you know, that's okay. And just be what you are and so on. And a marriage becomes so confused, et cetera, et cetera. We're heading down that road. So how does the church stand? I mean, you stayed in here that, that your desire has been to see God's truth compel others to action. Um, there is such a thing as truth and error. Truth sets us free. Error enslaves us ultimately. Where do you see us going as a church in America uh, in light of what's around us here? Are we about to face some persecution or increasing opposition? And, and how do we handle what we're facing and what we're going to face? Well, the, the advantage I've had of serving in a persecuted area of the world helps me have perspective. It helps me to read scripture and to bring that to the states. Mm -hmm. But you, you basically described, um, we talked, if, as you remember, we talked about postmodernism for 20 years. And what yeah. I've said to my friends and the people that will listen to me is we're living out postmodernism yeah. now. And we have two things that are occurring that has caused us to be in a crisis. And those are trust and truth. When you no longer have trust and truth, your chaos ensues at that moment forward. I've Ooh. said, and this is my own opinion, that the church is not even, Randy, is not even ready, will not survive 2024 election process because of those two factors. And um, I've seen it overseas over and over again. I got caught up into a, a coup. I didn't know whether I was going to survive. These things are normal all over the planet. Mm -hmm. It's now reached our shores. When you no longer have truth and you no longer have trust, then it doesn't matter um, what is said or it isn't said. And I believe, unfortunately, what we have done in the church for so long is that we have created um, a consumeristic mentality. Now, we've used that, verb that verbiage a long time. We're seeing it lived out. I mean, churches simply don't know where people have left, etc. And I, I just saw Barna just put out yesterday that we are now, for the first time, a minor minority of the population actually attends church. And so what many will call you, are you either a nun, a dun, or an um? Um's new to me. Uh, nun means I have no affiliation with anything. Dun means I'm done with religion in the church. Um is I'm still trying to decide what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And really, that's where we're at as a society. And wow. it's, as I said, it's been my, it's been my call of God in my intensity and my passion. So for example, Randy, this past week, we had revival hit us at KCC. Really? I knew, I knew it was going to hit. I had it, it, in explain, my it. explain what, what you meant by revival hit. Well, typically I knew that the Holy Spirit was going to meet with us in such a way mm. that people would repent, people would share, people oh. would be moved to worship in ways they've never worshipped and openness. And I went on social media and said to KCC family, come ready, come ready to pray, come early to pray. And made that declaration to our church. And then on Sunday morning, probably approximately about 100 people showed up 15, 30 minutes in advance and prayed through the sanctuary at the altar, etc., where I got to pray for a healing for a little, little girl that came up and heard my message on social media and said she wanted to be the first miracle. 
Wow. And so I laid my hands on her. And then at the end of the service, I preached on this. And basically my message was this, do we want more of God? Revival is simple. It's not as complicated as we make it. I was, by the way, what I didn't tell you, Randy, is I was saved in a revival in 1982 for an entire year at that town. The Holy Spirit had moved in such an incredible, powerful way that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teenagers got saved. And it was meetings and worship services for an entire year. And I thought that was normal Christianity. It wasn't until I went to college that I found out most Christians had never experienced this. And so because that's my background, mm-hmm. I truly desire that, um, and I don't want to read about it. And so I just said to people on Sunday, are, there's basically one word describes us. Are we desperate enough? And until we're desperate enough, will we do the things necessary, which is basically come with an expectation? Do we expect to meet him? And so by giving that on social media, people come in early and praying. Basically, we had, uh, we had a few worship songs. I preached up front. And then I said, and this is not KCC culture. Yes. I said, now we're just going to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Wow. And we, that's like 30 minutes, uh, 40 minutes, whatever. And so we started into it and God's Holy Spirit fell down and people came. We, I, I'll, the, probably about two, three, 400 people came forward in one group and we worshiped, we gave scriptures, we prayed for healing. I had about... 15 people come on the stage from different nations of the world and they all in their language started to declare for revival in their own tongue. Praise and, God. And Praise God. Through all of that, um, that was, and then I declared to them, this is all about, are we desperate enough? Mm. And do we truly expect those two things is basically what I was calling us to do. I love and, it. And we've, and so with revival comes evangelism. Yes. And yes. in the last several weeks we've seen 84 people come to jesus christ and that's that's a variety of people out in the marketplace I love in it. the services I love uh, it. through the ministries and so mm-hmm. what we're now doing is this week i will declare to them again are you coming early to pray are you coming with an expectation this is not dependent on an individual yeah. this is this is a, a group of people that desire to see a fresh wind fresh power from god i say all that randy to tell you it's because I do believe persecution is coming. Okay. I do believe that we're in a moment in history that, and I've asked people that are older than me, I'm only 55 years old, mm-hmm. but I've had my, a lot of my mentor friends are um, 75 to 85, my father's age bracket. And uh-huh. they in unison say what we're experiencing now, they've not seen in their lifetime. Because I was really curious about the 60s because I was only a child in the 60s. And they said that was a totally different apples and oranges to what we're experiencing now. And so- when I declare that, I, the reason why I believe that um, is that we're seeing deconstruction of scripture and of truth at level at speeds that we've never seen yes. in my lifetime. Yes. yes. And so with that being said, I have declared my my message, Brandy, has basically been we need a biblical worldview. So I'm going to preach scripture. I'm going to come right down the aisle. And this is how I've dealt with a church of all the nations. I had one African-American say to me. You don't care whose foot you step on, whether they're the uh, the right-winged white Anglo or the left-winged liberal. I said, I don't even look at any of that. I'm just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a biblical worldview. And wherever the sh- wherever it falls, it falls, let it fall, because it's, that's not my issue. That's the Holy Spirit's work. That's I right. said, the problem that we've run into in America is that 
we have taken the kingdom of God and we've lowered it yes. and we've placed things above it. Yes. When you place politics and um, uh, social reconciliation and um, COVID and all of those things, and that becomes your focus as a church, mm-hmm. you wrote your death sentence in my, in my opinion. And I, at KCC, I won't go there. I'm, this is what we're about. We are to know him and to make him known. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are to go and make disciples of all nations. That's it. why we exist. And that's the master of simplification. I love it. Uh, just a real question. You said trust and truth. I understand truth. But when you say trust, trust in what? As far as your two stroke. Yeah, we don't trust each other anymore. Because, oh, okay. and I'd say that the trust and relate the, the reason behind that is, has been our, our, our technology. Our technology has, has been used against us in such a way that we no longer trust anything. We don't trust um, news outlets. We don't trust, mm. uh, we don't trust. Uh, and then we use our, our social media platforms to scream at one another. And then we have these algorithms that allow us to only look at things that we uh, um, agree with. So therefore you and I are old enough um, to remember that we could be friends with people that we disagree with. That's right. We can That's have right. a cup of coffee and yeah. talk about an issue yeah. and walk away and still be friends. Oh yeah. You know, I believe those things have been eroded in this season of technology. I, I agree. I agree. Now, I think of, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan when he was president and Tip O'Neill was speaker of the house. I mean, politically they were f- f- wide apart, you know, far apart but they were friendly to each other because they're both Americans and we're working on the same team, but we don't do that anymore. We just throw missiles at each other and, and, and yell at each other and scream at each other. Like, you know, you know, if you would just get out of here and get canceled, maybe we could have, you know, uh, perpetual joy and happiness. But uh, anyhow, it's just, you're absolutely right. So, I, okay. That's helpful to understand what you mean by trust is that we have to be one, even, you know, the church, I was at a prayer meeting yesterday morning. You know of a Kentwood prayer meeting that we have that you have a conflict with, so you can't be part. We'd love to have you a part of it, by the way. You would be such an important part. But, you know, the mayor of Kentwood's there, and we, who you know well, and many pastors in our area. And we've been praying for revival and spiritual awakening together for a number of years. And, you know, we come from majorly different backgrounds, but we are brothers forever, and that's part of this trust thing, I guess, that you're talking about. We need to love. That's what Jesus' prayer in John 17, 20 verse 23, verses 20 through 23, he prays three times in four verses that we be one. And we, we have not followed that. And there's such a great promise that's accompanied it. May they be perfectly one so the world will know that you sent me, says Jesus, and that you love them as much as you love me. Well, Boy, the- God help us to do that. Well, the rea- we don't trust one another. We don't trust structures and organizations. We don't trust government. We don't trust churches. That's very, very, uh, yeah. that is very concerning to me. And so mm-hmm. it's been my, Randy, it's been my passion over the next little bit to prepare the church, number one, to, to reach out to as many people as we can, to share the gospel with as many people as we can, to disciple as many people as we can. At the same time, as we do this, I'm also preparing because I understand the persecuted. When we started our 12 house churches in Central Asia, we had to baptize in bathtubs. We had to sure. secret places to meet. And so what I'm doing, it may sound really radical and, and out there, but at the same time, I'm creating a structure here that will have um, our community groups ready 
mm-hmm. so that as persecution, we're going to live, we're going to be as public as long as we can, because here's what most recently I said, I've believed is that we're going to have two churches. We have two churches on the horizon right now, the compromised church and the, uh, the biblical church. Yes. And the compromised yes. church is going to continue to grow and grow and grow, not by people, but by number of churches. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the biblical church, the Bible believing church, because of deconstruction is going to become less and less and less. And then what will happen as you probably agree with is that the, the subtleties will become more overt towards what we can and cannot preach. What I've said to our men's Bible studies and everything else, the, your leader, if you study history, the first people that are taken out are the leaders. Yep, and that's so right. once you take, once you cut the head off, yep. then the, the sheep will scatter. But I'm here to, to train these people in community groups that they will be able to stand and that, and because we know we will, we know we win, we know all of that. Amen. But, Amen. But to still prepare the church in the process of that, um, and with what's going on, and that that kind of that kind of focus and vision, guess what it does, Randy? It keeps us from bickering and arguing about stupid stuff. Yeah. Keeps us on the main thing of the hurt and the pain mm. and the struggle which people are are experiencing in today's world. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. It's just. What's in my heart is just to say how proud I am of you as my brother in Christ and courageous leader of your congregation. I just so applaud what you're doing and your heart for doing it. As we know, I mean, every leader, every pastor has a big target on their backside that the enemy would love to to hurt. How do you protect yourself and how do you encourage other pastors to to keep, I think pride is one of those areas. You know, you think of King David. I mean, he did pretty well when he was being chased by Saul, but then he becomes king and, hey, you know, we got it together. Joab, you go take care of the war. I'm just going to stay here. And he has this major moral fall. You just think, whoa, that is so uncharacteristic of what we know about David. But uh, so what, what, how do you protect yourself uh, and, and what would you encourage other pastors who, again, uh, the enemy would love to attack and, and destroy? I think that traditionally what pastors have felt trapped in is not being authentic and real mm. and feel pressured. One thing I felt, Randy, when I came back from overseas that I really didn't like when I became a pastor in a church was I immediately felt as though I was an, a, a, I felt as though I was a, a commodity. Mm. And I didn't like that. I'm not a paid commodity for any of you. I'm, I'm a fellow sojourner that happens to be um, a leader among leaders trying to lead us towards the promised land and trying to equip the saints to do ministry. And I believe that we've set up church in such a way in America that we've set um, leaders, pastors up in such a way that they feel trapped. Yeah. And we, and you and I already know that power and uh, uh, money and fame can just can, can mess up the, yes. the most uh, sincere individual. Yes. But for me, and none of us are exempt. For me, number one, with those two th- words, authentic, authenticity and realness, yes. is I'm reminded of Revela- or Jeremiah 17, 9, where it says the heart is deceptible of all things who can trust it. I don't trust me, Randy. Never have, never will. Wow. So I, I am in and have been in accountability from day one when I got saved in 1982 to this very day. So it doesn't matter my position. It's about me being a, a child of God yes. that I don't trust where I can go. And what I found in the struggles of my life mm. in the challenges, what I've found is that I'm weaker than I'm willing to admit. Oh, I yeah. think I, I always think I'm stronger 
than I really am. And then it's in those moments, in that accountability, I'm accountable on a, on number of levels. Yeah, uh, with um, with men that ask me the tough questions, I'm accountable to my wife. Have a relationship that is open and sharing with her. Yes. Uh, but I'm also accountable to the board of elders. That, by the way, I email every single um, Monday with an update. And in addition, that I text them every single morning and engage them. So I I give updates. I get evaluated. Um, consistently in more ways than anybody on my team so that there will be all the checks and balances. And I'm not, not just me, to be honest with you, because it show you my, my authenticity is I'm not, I'm a casualty of this experience in that we have three children, adult children, our third we adopted from the land in which we served. And her, she graduated a year ago from university and came out um, and deconstructed and walked away from her faith and then declared she was gay and then started dating a girl uh-huh. and the hurt and the pain as any parent that's gone through that is beyond words that you can describe because i said to her that as her as her parents i said we will not pull our hearts away from you we will yeah. continue to love you as some will do mm-hmm. but we're also not going to walk away from what we believe we're, my, your mother and i are going to walk right in this yes. tension Yes. To love you. And we don't know how to do this dance. We never anticipated it. You, yes. All three of you kids have always loved the Lord. And we're walking through that now with her and loving her. And thank God she hasn't canceled us out. But uh, we are we're in the middle of it right now. And I love her more than I could even begin to describe to you. That's but good. it's also not just me praying for her deliverance. Yes. It's me praying what am I supposed to learn in this? Yes. That's and what so are the good. things that you want to teach me? Because there's some things in my life that I can learn. And the other thing I'd say to you about that, it has softened me. I don't know. You're, you're a few years ahead of me, but I say to my wife, I'm like, I don't know what happens to us men because now I'm, I cry all the time before I never cried at all in my whole life. And now so I cry, maybe you're more emotional than me, but I, I'm just one of those guys that was go get her done kind of guy. And now I, yeah. my sensitivity, and I do believe that, Part of that is because of the experience I've had with my daughter. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Marsha and I have just 12 children. I don't know if you do that. Yes, I did know that. And 35 grandkids. And, uh, and I really attribute the fact that our children at this point are walking with Jesus. None of them perfect. Mom, Marsha and I are not by any stretch either, but due in large part to Marsha's persistent prayers. I mean, she has truly a war room. Her laundry room has a picture of each one of the kids, multiple pictures, and it's scripture that God's given her. And every day she's on her knees praying for every one of those kids. Mm-hmm. And we've had some that have wandered away in various capacities, but they have always come back. And, and that's why I just love, uh, you know, Luke 11, where it talks about, you know, the guy that goes to his friend at midnight, you know, and keeps pounding and shameless audacity. And then Luke 18, the persistent widow. And, you know, for so many years, and I say this to my shame, I would say, you know, Marsha, Marsha's the prayer and I'm the doer. I get the job done. You know, can you identify with that just a little bit? But um, that is so stupid. Uh, as Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And, uh, you know, because that invites God, the power of God into our lives. And those children, whether adopted or natural, belong to God. And, and he loves them more than we can. And, uh, 
and and for us to just keep praying and praying and praying until they come back. And we've seen God do miracles along those lines as we have given them to the Lord, as we've gotten scripture promises, and we continue to pray them. So I encourage you to keep doing that. But well, I remind, sort of appreciate you. You you remind me of a words that has touched my heart from a retired pastor that went to Jesus during COVID. And he said this, he's one of the leaders in our denomination. He said, I stopped as much talking to people about God. Uh-huh. And I started talking to God about people. Amen. And I was like, Oh, yeah. that rang so loud in my heart. I'm like, yes. he found a purpose in his Amen. retirement here that was different than being on the center stage of a platform yeah. Yeah. to being in the center stage of the, Holy of Holies and the presence of God of talking to God about people. And I just find that uh, powerful reminder to me for those who've gone before me as to what I can learn from them. Yeah. Well, you know, we continue to pray for revival and you've really encouraged me with what happened at Kentwood community, even this last Sunday. And we need to keep praying that that spreads hugely. We so desperately need revival of the church leading to the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of our country. And I'm, I trust you can say amen to that one. Absolutely. Amen. Even with a persecute, whatever it takes, this life is short. Why don't you close us? Unless you got something more to add, just go ahead and then close us in prayer. Yeah. I would say to your last statement about revival and yes. persecution, I think the one thing that we're truly going to have to do is, and I'm digging, I'm digging into it right now. I'm reading a book under Caesar's sword and we have to create Randy, a theology of persecution. We have not, we, we've lived in a mm. bubble in the United States for 200 plus years that's as true. it relates to our religious um, affiliation. And that's bubbles being busted. Yeah. And it's going to take leaders like yourself, myself, um, and others that we truly mm. uh, speak the truth and love, but truth to knowing that, that Jesus, to follow Jesus, he already said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's they right. persecute me, they're going to persecute you. They kill, they're going to kill me, they're going to kill you. What is it? 70 million or 90 million? I can't forget, forget that have been martyred since, since the church was birthed. I mean, that's, that's mind boggling. And yet we live in this moment in time. And the last thing I'll say is this, I believe that we know the church was birthed with persecution Yeah. and out of the, out of the blood of the martyrs, the church was birthed, right? Yes. I'm here to declare that that's the way it's going to end. And the scripture is declaring it. And we have to, it's my responsibility to prepare the church because the church will stand. And even under that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. We'll see, it will be the church's greatest hour. It will be more signs, wonders, and miracles than we've ever seen for the glory of God, not for the experience, not for the emotion, but for the glory of God. And I hold on to those truths with my last breath. Randy, I have faced death in the face a number of times on the fields. And so I, it's to me, it's, I say over and over again, it's not until you're willing to die for something that you're going to live for it. I love and, it. and we need to get the church ready for this in yes. such a way that God will prepare us now so that he'll give us what we need in that moment. Now Amen. I'm preaching, so I'll, I'll conclude by praying for us. Would you do that? Oh, I th- thank you again so much for sharing your heart, Mick. I love it. Go for it. Lord, thank you for Randy and his leadership and his family and for Um, the influence he's had in West Michigan for so many years. And thank you that it continues and it continues to have impact. And I pray that you would continue to do that for him in the ministry you've granted him. Mm -hmm. We together as brothers pray and cry out to you for the miracles that we need before us. They're so big. Um, 
the situations, the, the challenges scream louder than we can uh, do by ourselves. But we acknowledge today that you're the God that is, a, is, the, is, the, is the game changer. You are the one that can do all things. And so we fix our eyes on you today, not on the um, challenges around us. Mm. And we say, Lord Jesus, do what you need to do. We will commit to you today to keep saying yes to whatever you want us to do. And you will continue to give us the courage and the strength and the power and the wisdom to keep marching forward until we see you face to face. Mm -hmm. So we are grateful for this time and grateful that we can um, continue to encourage one another, as Hebrews tells us, all the more as we see your day approaching. Yes. In the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I love you, brother. I'm so encouraged. Thank you for being here in West Michigan, actually in Kentwood, where actually Marcia and I live. So that is so great. Thank you for trusting God, obeying him, following him, and and leading with courage and love. So God bless you. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for letting me be on your podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.